Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Today, on this 4th of July, we have not Kristen Ball, not Michael Hall, we have Captain Tall. And so um, John Freeman is someone who um, my heart was wedded to the moment we met. Um, He's been with our staff now for two years, uh, coordinating our youth in Axiom as well as our young adults in Light Company. Um, He is a person who has a magnetic personality for those of you that have encountered him. And we're pleased to have him with us here today, obviously, as not only a staff member ongoing, but as a special guest. So accordingly, Respond to him, if you would, with an open heart and with a warm welcome, John Freeman Free. <laughs> All right, so being, being cynical with a little dose of rebellion will get you into trouble. I found this out as a young lad in a private religious school when we were told that we had to know this prayer, and it was just kind of thrown into there that you not only have to know the prayer for a test, but you need to know the prayer to get into heaven. So I raised my hand, and I asked, why? Like, oh, just, just know the prayer. It's, it's a really short prayer. Just, you just get that down. Uh, but uh, follow-up question. Why is a, a, the password into heaven a prayer? It's like just, it's also on the test, just memorizes. All right, one other question. Why that prayer? Like, why is the, that prayer itself? Of all the prayers that are out there, why is that? John, just, just know the prayer. All right. All right, here's another, one more, one more. How do we know that it's that prayer? I mean, is it in the Bible? Like, how do we know it's that prayer? John, all right, one more question. How exact do we have to be in the prayer? Is that like word for word? Or, uh, John, out in the hall. I spend a lot of time out in the hall. And sometimes it was for rebellion, but often it was like situations like that where my cynicism, I just had a genuine question. I wanted to know why. I wanted to know how. I wanted the real deal. Like an idea can sound good. Something can look really good. But is it genuine? Does it work? You ever buy a product and then you get it and you're so disappointed because it doesn't line up with the description. I remember being a college student, a poor college student who's now a follower of Jesus. And, you know, these Christian books, they spread. And so everyone's reading this Christian books. But I didn't have the $20 to buy the book. But me and my friend, we found this great deal. This book was only $5. And we look at it and when they had the previews of the pages and all the words are there and all the pages are there. It's the same cover. So we bought it. And it came, and I get this book, and yeah, it had all the pages, it had all the words, but instead of being a normal size, they'd shrunk this thing down to that size, where you couldn't even read the words, and it was so disappointing. And I remember, that's like, all right, some of this stuff, like capitalism and Christianity didn't mix. I loved going to the bookstore, because they're Christian bookstores. You guys remember those? All right? You would go in, and there was the the bookstore side, the books. I love that. And then there was the side that had like 
the knick-knack paddywhacks, the plaques, the precious moments, the chubby angels with like little sayings, right? And so I found one of those like right here. All right, so this is one of these plaques, right? And this one reads, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. An amazing couple of verses. And look how pretty it is with the flowers. And this was something that someone was selling on Etsy. And I was like, oh, wow, that, that's, that's really good. And you can find some cheesy stuff in those stores, like the testaments that are mints. Oh, my gosh. You know? But precious moments and bookstore plaques, they can look good, but not necessarily mean that we put them into practice. Right? Faith can be like that. Our faith can look good, But does it really change anything? Is it making us more like Jesus? And so today, we're going to look at a key to being genuinely changed, to genuinely becoming genuine followers of Jesus. We're going to go through one Bible story, two verses, and then we have one big idea. And so I thought I'd give you a preview of of the main idea we're going through. So here's what we're talking about. We're talking about how we're all called to be genuine imitators. And this is our idea. If we meditate on genuine qualities from God and imitate genuine followers of God, we are changed by genuine discipleship with God. And if you're anything like me, you desire a faith that is genuine, a faith that works, a faith that really matters, a faith that can transform and change you and the people and the world around you. Faith is meant to answer genuine questions like why and how. It is meant to form genuine relationships that just ring true to your soul. It is meant to change us in very genuine ways. You see, because Jesus is genuine, he is the real deal, and he calls us all to be the real deal. And we will see that we are called to be genuine followers of that genuine Jesus instead of just cheap imitations of a packaged religion. And so how do we get there? All right, I'm telling you, following Jesus, it's it's a process. It takes initiative. It takes investment. And ironically, one of the keys to being genuine in how you follow Jesus is to learn how to be an imitator, but a genuine imitator. So now you have a preview of that that one idea. Let's look at our one story. All right, so this is written by Luke. It's in the book of Acts, and he's writing in Acts, and we pick up on the second missionary journey that Paul is on, right? And he is with Silas and likely with Luke, because when Luke's writing Acts, there are times where he switches over and he says, we and us, though he doesn't name himself as one of the companions that is assumed that he is with them. So we are in Acts 16. We're starting in verse 11, and it says this. On their journey. It says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day to Neopolis, and there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. 
And so as Paul would go on these journeys, it was his custom that if he was in a Jewish place, he would first roll in and he'd go to a synagogue and he'd start sharing the good news that we need to believe in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls, that he offered forgiveness, that the Messiah was here. But then often places that weren't so Jewish, like here, he would assume and find that there were these places of prayer that would spring up where God-fearing people would gather to pray, those who were spiritually interested in, in things. And so he goes into Philippi, he goes in one of these places, and he and Silas start faithfully preaching the gospel. These women are listening. This one woman, Lydia, is the first known convert that we see in the Bible in Asia. All right? And so she comes to the Lord, and she's like, no, if you believe that I'm a believer, come, stay in my home. And so she genuinely just invites them into her home, and her house becomes the home base for their ministry there. All right? And so it continues on. It says, once... As we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming you to the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. All right, so they're on the way to prayer, and this, this girl who's a fortune teller, I don't know if she had a you know, crystal ball or what it looked like back in those days, all right, but she's a fortune teller, and she's following around and says she did this for many days. But look at what's the next part of that verse. Paul was greatly annoyed. All right, so that first reading I gave you, that's like the calm bookstore plaque version of the reading. All right? That's probably not what happened after many days of her doing this. Remember, a lot of times the fortune tellers, you do it by the flamboyant, you put on a show. And so it was probably something more like as she's, they're walking around, they're trying to do their ministry, she's going, these men, ooh, they're proclaiming you the way of salvation. Oh, they're trying to point you to the most high God. Ah. Can you just picture it? Right? You can just picture her, and it says, Paul gets greatly annoyed. We can understand that. But Paul, I, he's not like us all the time. His response was not what I would have be my response. All right? So it says, she did this for many noise, and it says, turning to the Spirit, Paul said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. All right? And so Paul, in faith, commands the spirit leaves. She can no longer tell fortunes. And you thought it was ugly to get mocked? It gets really ugly at this point, all right? It gets really ugly. Because what happens now is these owners, they no longer can make money. So they get really upset. So they literally, they take Paul and they Silas and they drag them into the marketplace and they send them before the authorities and they say, these men, they're Jews. They're proclaiming things that are not like what we need to, what we follow here as Greeks. And then they stir up this whole mob and this mob joins in. And so the authorities have Paul and Silas stripped and then they take rods and they say, beat them. And they beat them with rods. And they say, now throw them in prison. So the police take them, they put them in prison. And not only do they put them in prison, they put them into the most inner part of the jail and they put them in the stocks. Bad day. It's a really bad day right there, all right? Again, Paul and Silas, their response, not necessarily what I think would be my first response. Look at what their response is. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners 
had escaped. You see, that was their moment. The moment where these men could emerge victorious over evil men. But that's only if this is a story about people versus people. This is a story about a God freeing broken people with genuine love. And Paul and Silas, they're on the side of the God of genuine love. And so when they see the man draw his sword and fall, about to fall on it, instead of seeing, if he just does this, we are home free. He's the only thing between them and freedom. Instead of seeing that, they see a person whose eternity stands in the balance, whose one soul was more, worth more than their life. And so then, again, Paul does what wouldn't be my natural inclination. Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. All the other prisoners like, who let this guy in? <laughs> the jailer called for light, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so this jailer who had been listening with those prisoners comes in and places his faith in Jesus, and he takes them out, and he takes them into his home, and he takes all those wounds that were just left festering in this gross prison, and he himself personally washes them. And he says, share with my household. And his whole household becomes followers of Jesus. And God was freeing broken people with genuine love. The next day, the authorities, they tell the police, go let those two out of jail. So the police go. They said, are right, you free to go? And Paul, who has a little bit of that rebellion, said, no way. No way. You put me on trial? You, no, wait, wait, I didn't get a trial. You're right. Oh, you put me in prison without a trial? You come on down here and you let us out because we're Roman citizens. Oh, they find out they're Roman citizens. They start sweating. The authorities come down, personally apologize, make a public apology, let them out, but then they beg them, please, just leave the city. So Paul and Silas, they go and visit Lydia and her household, the ones who had just gotten saved, and then they quietly leave. The end. That's the end of our story, and I want you to think that of that one story, keep in your mind. We're going to look at two verses, all right? Our two verses here start like this. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. You recognize the verse? Philippians 4, 8 and 9. It was from our knick-knack paddywhack plaque. All right? That was whatever it was. All right? But I love the Bible. All right? These plaques are, are great for reminding us of the Bible. And this, these two verses are beautiful because they got eight of these great intangible virtues, qualities that come from God. They have the whatever is true and whatever, whatever is, is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If anything has moral excellence, if anything is praiseworthy, 
then it has these four great ways in which we can learn, right? Whatever you've learned, whatever you've received, whatever you have heard, whatever you have seen. And then it has this one amazing promise. The God of peace will be with you. These verses are so rich, right? And so let's take a couple minutes just looking at what these verses really are commanding us to do. Verse 8, the first half, it starts with a command as it lists off all those eight things. But there's a command in there. It says, dwell on these things. Our command is that we are to think about the godly qualities that we see, those things of God's nature and his truth that he's just embedded and breathed in this world. If we meditate on genuine qualities from God, it's the first condition of our one idea that we have for today. We have to think about that. But dwelling is meditating. Meditating is different than hearing and knowing. Meditating is life-changing. If you are looking to meditate, I challenge you, memorize some verses. Don't just read them. Don't just put them on your wall. Memorize them and commit them to memory. Put them in your minds. Let them sink into your heart. If you're looking for two, these are two great verses. Memorize them because memorizing shows you the difference between knowing and and understanding and just hearing or just reading. And that's exactly what the Bible is commanding us to do. We're commanded, dwell on. Dwell on these things. Meditate on genuine qualities from God. All right? Now, it's no surprise when I went looking on Etsy for, like, plaques of these verses, I found a bunch on verse 8. And I found a few that had 8 or 9. I found none that had just verse 9. Why is that? Well, let's see what verse 9 is actually commanding us to do. All right? This says, Do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. And I was at first surprised because the payout is there, the promise. It says the God of peace is going to be there. Why isn't this like all over all these plaques? Because it has the end of our big idea, the fact that we are changed by genuine discipleship with God. Then we walk with God and we're truly in genuine relationship with him. This is a promise that God is with you. And he's the God of many things. He's God of grace. He's God of truth. He's the God of peace. And we'll have peace. And who doesn't want peace? Who doesn't want to know that God is with them? But this verse probably doesn't make many plaques because of one little word, and you'll find it right at the beginning. Do. Do what you have learned. Do what you have heard. Do what you have seen. Do what I've told you, right? Thinking and meditating is one thing. Doing is another thing altogether. It it reminds me of this uh, preacher's sermon uh, story. You know, us preachers, we hear these stories, and you got to try to figure out if it's true. I have no idea if this one's true. I have no idea. But, you know, it's a great illustration, so just take it for this. This is a story about this preacher. This old preacher, and he had this great church, and he came up, and and he preached from the Bible, and his congregation loved his sermon, and afterwards, like, that was a really convicting, great sermon, pastor. And the next week, you know, he comes back, and he'd been around for a while, and he's getting up there in ages, and he starts preaching again, and lo and behold, they start looking around, and he's preaching the very same sermon from the week before. They're like, does he even know? Is he, is he losing it? But they're like, well, we'll just let it slide on this. We love our pastor. So after, like, great, nice, nice sermon, pastor, nice sermon. Thank you, thank you. Third week, comes back, he's doing it again. The same one. It's like, well, someone's got to tell him. I'm not going to tell him. You tell him. And so some brave person who really loves their pastor, you know, comes and says, Pastor, I don't know if you know this, but you've now preached this sermon three times in a row. And he's like, and I will keep preaching it until you do it. (laughs) That's what this verse is telling us to do, is to do. 
to put these things actually into practice, that we are to meditate on those qualities, but we are to do those, right? And as convicting as it is to take some time to think about how God wants us to obey. And that is still true. Remember, we also have a God of grace. It's not about performance. He, we're not supposed to be, we don't have to be perfect, but he does want to change us. He wants us to think and to believe and have it change how we live. As much as that's convicting, I believe that the main idea that God has for us today is from this next part, all right? So this is the part where you buckle your seatbelts. This is the part where verses 8 and 9, they get personal. And by getting personal, I mean we get to see just how personal these verses really were, all right? You got to realize that these verses weren't first sold in a bookstore on a plaque or in a precious moment, all right? These are two sentences from a genuine letter from Paul who was a genuine follower. He's just like you and me. Sinful man, saved by grace, following Jesus. And he's writing a letter to other followers, genuine followers, ones that he knew, ones that he loved. And he writes this letter to Philippi. And Paul was in Philippi. You know what happened when Paul was in Philippi? Yes, you do. Because I told you the story, all right? And I said, remember the story, all right? And so our story that we told was in Paul's second missionary journey. And he goes and he spends some days in Philippi. Then they tell him to leave, and so he leaves. And on his third journey, we know he stops in really briefly on the way to Greece. And on the way back from Greece, he stops there and he's there for maybe five days. And we don't know if he ever goes there again. But 10 years later, he writes a letter and he has it delivered to this church of friends in Philippi. So when they would read this, it wasn't already packaged in this book. A letter comes rolling in from this man who started the church 10 years ago. Think about this. 10 years later, the story we heard would be something of legend, right? And then they read these couple sentences, and it says, finally, brothers and sisters, he counts them as family, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. He tells them, imitate me. Imitate me. That's the big idea that I believe God really has for us all, is that if we imitate genuine followers of God. Paul says, you see that, the from me and the you? He says, what you have heard, learned from me, what you have received from me, what you have heard from me, what you have seen in me, I want you to imitate that. And these two verses and these one story combined, and that was their example. So Maybe this letter first rolled into the household of Lydia, and she got it first, and she read it, and they all read it, and they go, give it down to the jailer, and the jailer and his whole household, and it spread all through. But when they read it, what would come to mind? Ten years later, that story of legend of these men of faith who were following Jesus. They would have thought of them rolling in, and nothing was handed to them. They came in, and they took their own initiative. They went to a place of prayer, right? And they start faithfully sharing the gospel. And we all know how scary that is. And so they're conquering the scare, the scariness, right? And they're being mocked by this woman for days. And then the, the, the owners drag them into the streets, right? And a mob comes, and they are beaten, and they are in prison, and they are left in there in the deepest dungeon. 
And then the, you, we don't know what the prisoners would do, but they're not nice people. And the way they're being treated as they're trying to respond to that. And then they risk their very life saving a jailer. And then they get released, and there's all this controversy about them, and they're driven out of town and asked to not come back. Why aren't precious moments made of those moments? Like, why do we get the chubby angels, you know? And then why don't we see, like, someone getting beaten by rods and say, dwell on these things, you know? And people being driven out of town and like, do what, I've, what you see me do. We don't. But those are the moments we need. Because those are the real-life moments of following Jesus. But when Paul writes to them, he's not pointing them to all the hardships What's he pointing them to? He points them to all those things that are true and that are honorable, that are just, and that are pure and commendable and moral and worthy of praise. What you've seen in that story, think of those. Because this is life in Jesus. Even among times riddled with hardship, we are overflowing with God's abundance and blessing. If only... We think on these things. If only we imitate those who follow Jesus. You see, because sometimes when all those hardships come, and oftentimes this is the case, it's easier to see somebody else and their faith and how they respond and how they follow Jesus than it is to apply those things to our life. And that's the power of genuine imitation. That's the power of why we can look to others. Take this story, just for instance, when Lydia or the jailer gets this, and they say, think about those things. They would have thought back. And from the day he rolls into town, Paul and Silas, they only had a kingdom mentality. They were always looking, where's God at? What is God doing? Right? That's all they would see. They would see him go to the place of prayer, and they would see how strategic he was. They would go and they would see how they were proclaiming the gospel and see how faithful they were. They would go and see him serving the servant girl and how they were servant and being faithful to that. They would show, see, remember how he shared with Lydia, and they were willing to share the gospel. How they received help from Lydia, and let, they, let it, they took it. They let her take care of them and go in their house. They will remember how when they were in the dungeon, they were transparent and open. It wasn't quiet, but they were singing their prayers and singing praises loudly so that all could hear. And they would not have forgotten their kind of faith. Because remember, they believed that God could do something, and he rattled the whole prison and freed them. They would have known that. They would have remembered how with the jailer, they put others first before them. They would have known that these are people who are ambassadors, but yet they always did it. In team, they are always together. Paul, Silas, Luke. They would have known all that. They would have seen the multiplication, how Paul was pouring in to a Silas, pouring into a Luke. Not only does Paul end up writing all these letters, Luke writes the gospel, he writes Acts, which we're reading from. We would have seen all those lessons. That's what they would have seen. That's what they would have learned. That's what they would have felt challenged to do. That type of genuine faith, one that matters. And some of those lessons, man, I love them, especially the ones about them being together in multiplication. It's why I give given my life to working with young adults and youth, because I know that they're the hope of the world, and they need others to imitate. And how did I get to have that passion? Because I saw others doing it for me when I was a young punk kid wandering far from Jesus. So what do we do? We do the same thing. We learn from others. 
and then we multiply into others. So here's, here's our point. Here's that last point, our big idea, right? We're going to land on that. If we meditate on genuine qualities from God and imitate genuine followers of God, we are changed by genuine discipleship with God. Today is a challenge for us to be genuine imitators. Now we have to realize first that all of us, we imitate Jesus. That's who we're imitating. When we're imitating other genuine followers, they're just imitating Jesus. In fact, Paul, all of our places, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow the part that I long to long, follow Jesus. And so that's what we're, we're doing. But for us, as we apply this today, here's the question. Who do you know that is a genuine follower? Who in your life forgives, forgives you? Who in your life just shows you grace and you realize this grace can change the world? Who in your life is just open? They, they, they let you see their mistakes and they let you see their prayers and their dreams and their hopes of how Jesus can transform our world. They let you in on that. They not only make you a friend, they make you family because genuine followers, they're safe places. Genuine followers are safe places, and you can be genuine with other genuine followers. From the day I stepped foot in this church, I knew this was a safe place because it's full of genuine followers. From Pastor Randy to every one of you, when we get a chance to talk in the lobby, they're safe places. So with whom are you to be a genuine imitator in genuine relationship with God? God's given you people, just like he gave Paul and Silas and Philippi, right? They rolled in, and then we had a Paul. Maybe there's a Paul that you have, someone that you want to learn from. Who do you need to learn from? Maybe there's a Silas or a Luke, someone that you want to invite into your life so that they can see your life and see it in all its mistakes and all its grace. Who's your Silas that maybe God wants you to take the initiative and let learn from you? Who's your Lydia? Who's that young, new believer that so desperately needs to know all that the life that they have that you can disciple and pour into? And yet, who are the prisoners? Who are those people in your life, your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, the people who are just broken, but you got to let them see your genuine faith lived out? Because among those prisoners, who's your jailer? Who's the one who will see you in all those hardships, embracing the God of peace? And more important than your life and the hardships is their soul. And you can be part of this amazing message that transforms the world. And so today, there's those two parts. We need to meditate. Meditate on genuine qualities. Maybe it's these two verses. Take the challenge. Memorize them. I know God has verses for you. So if it's not those, memorize those. Memorize that one. But the second part, who will you be a genuine imitator? And here's the lesson we also see from Paul and Silas. Take the initiative. God has given you an amazing story in him, and it's all you need. He's given you an abundance of blessings, and it's all you need. Take the initiative. Step into that relationship. Ask God who, 
Who? Who do you want me to enter into genuine imitation with? And then do it. And invite them to come alongside you and be changed by Jesus. Come with me. Come with me, Rock Point. Let's be genuine imitators. And let's be more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you and we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. You are so good. Life in you is so rich. You are the God of peace. And you are with us. And we thank you that we can meditate on your godly qualities that are so genuine. And we can let them transform how we think and how we do. But I thank you so much for other genuine believers filling this planet with the church of God, with genuine believers no matter where we go. Lord, you are the one who is the head of your church. Would you call to our our minds those that you want us to pour into, those you want us to enter into. Help us to have the boldness that we see Paul and Silas have to initiate, to initiate in these relationships so that you can help all of us become more like you and less like ourselves. We want to become more like you, Jesus. We thank you that you're doing that. We're in process with it. We love you.